Welcome to the Super Jump Podcast, episode two-ish. My name is Mitchell Wolf, and I'll be your host today. I'm here with editor-in-chief of Super Jump, James Burns. Hey, James. Hey, how's it going? It's pretty good. Um, how have you been since the last episode? Um, I have been awesome. We, um, we had a really, really busy month at Super Jump over July. I think we, uh, I'm not sure how many articles we ended up publishing, but I think we must have broken one of our own records. Um, it's been really, really busy and really good to see a lot of, a lot of different content. So it uh, seems like every month now is a new record, which is great. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So I introduced the show as two ish episode two ish. That's cause we've had some troubles. You guys, um, we've tried to release a few episodes in the meantime and, uh, they just weren't up to snuff. Uh, sometimes it was the fact that we were just rambling on, as we're known to do, or sometimes it's the fact that I recorded it wrong on on my Audacity uh, recording. Silly me, silly me. But we're here now, and we're really just ready to do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it well. I'm optimistic. Uh, this week, or a pair of weeks, or month, or however often we're gonna be releasing the show, that's not cemented yet. We're gonna be talking about remakes video game remakes there are a lot of them games are remade and remastered and ported all the time uh james what are your thoughts on remakes (laughs) that's a big question (laughs) it is a big question (laughs) um okay i'm gonna tackle it from two perspectives um okay so first of all um I feel like, I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but I feel like we're being bombarded with remakes everywhere. So, you know, obviously we're getting a ton of them in games, but we're even getting, um, you know, old franchises coming back in movies really, really frequently. And it could be just me, but it seems to be getting more and more frequent as well. Um I actually don't mind it when it comes to games, though, because there are a lot of games being remade at the moment that are from that sort of, um, you know, PS1, N64 era. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel as though those games really have aged the worst out of any. Um, Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, you know, like you can go back and play a, a Super NES game now, and even if you're not upscaling it on an HD TV, it still kind of looks okay, and it's, you know, um, it, it still works pretty well. Um, but I think if you if you go back and you try and play like um, Super Mario 64, you know, on an H on a big HD screen now, it just looks like a blurry mess, and that's true of a lot of games of that era. Mm-hmm. So. For me, it's really great because I kind of get to relive, you know, the emotions I had when I first played those games. There's that nostalgic value. 
that I get, you know, a much, hopefully, a much crisper experience with a modern TV. So I, I actually am pretty into it. And generally, I think a lot of the remakes we're seeing are pretty good. Um, you know, I think there's a, a fair amount of effort going into doing justice to the original. Um, what do you think? Do you play remakes very much these days? I, I, I keep a lot of my old consoles. Um, I have, well, I don't want to list them all, but I've, I've got like a lot of the notable consoles NES forward. Mm. Um, so if I want to play Super Mario 64, for example, I'm probably going to play it on my Nintendo 64. Um, yeah. and if they, um, if they made a good remake for it, that'd be that'd be interesting to see. But I kind of have I'm privileged in having the materials to play that old stuff. Mm. Um, not everyone is, and for for that gr- audience, for that group of people, I'm excited for them to be introduced to these old games for the first time because every game is someone's first game, and if it's a remake of an old game, they'll at least have that in common with me, mm. uh, which I think is kind of nice. Yeah. Um there is a debate online right now about what a remake really needs to be to be a remake. Mm. Some people are saying games like uh Crash Bandicoot the Insane Trilogy, which we'll talk a little bit about ra- uh later, is actually a remaster. Um and then there's also a debate between what a remaster is versus a port and if any of these can be called remakes. Uh it's a big thing. What's your what's your stance, James? <laughs> Oh look, I think there's no there's probably no clear barrier between remaster, remake and port. Um because it kind of depends on the individual game and what the developer's trying to do. Um I guess my kind of broad definition or my the general way that I look at it is you know, I tend to think of a remaster as a case where someone's taken an original game and they haven't just improved the the graphics and sound they've actually made some significant gameplay changes and i think sometimes developers must feel they have to do that because you know they might be moving to a radically different control scheme or you know something like that um they might be moving from old-fashioned you know digital d-pad controls to an analog stick for example or there might be certain advances in the way that games use cameras that they want to take advantage of. Um, so I think remasters tend to have a little bit more involved in terms of the changes. Um, sorry, remakes tend to have those bigger changes. I think remasters generally tend to be more spit and polish. You know, it's, it's sure. largely the original game. We've, we've tidied it up. We've cleaned up the textures. Um, you know, we've, we've basically said that, um, now you can view this game kind of natively on an hd screen and it looks okay um and obviously you know port ports tend to be where you've you know moved a game from one platform to another and sometimes um there are some really nice changes that happen with that like and i'm just thinking the example that comes to mind is um uh deus ex human revolution um the original game i think was um PS4 and um, yeah, I think it was PS4 originally. 
Uh, I think it also came to PC. I can't remember if it came to Xbox or not. Um, but when they did the port to the Wii U, that was a really good port, I think, because they, they, they included all of the downloadable content and kind of the extra stuff. Um, but they also built this whole new interface on the gamepad. Um, you know, kind of a whole new inventory and UI. So they didn't just pay lip service. They actually really put effort into porting the game across and it felt like it had been built for the Wii U from the ground up. Um, hmm. So I think that was an example of a really good port. But you'd still consider it a port? Yeah, I think so, just because it, the code wasn't originally written for that platform. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm I'm pretty much with you. The only thing I would say is that um, I kind of think all of them can be called remakes. Yeah. You're making it again, re- remake. Yeah. Um, but there is still a difference between like a full remake and and a port and all that. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. Uh, I think it's a silly argument, honestly, because what it can end up doing like the the function of that argument it can just end up um belittling remasters and saying oh well you're not a full remake you're not that interesting to talk about or anything like that yeah um and 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 that's that's a bit sad to me because again all every game is someone's first game and uh most remakes nowadays i would say are are going to be primarily enjoyed by someone who might not have played the first one um, because now most of the remake material is coming from the PS1 and 2 era. And uh, now that's over 10 years old. It's almost yeah. 15 years old. So, you know, that that we're old now. And uh, the kids <laughs> these days are going to have to look at our games through PS5 and 6 uh, ports. <laughs> So I think we're just going to have to get used to thinking of remasters as big things. Yeah. Um, So what we do on the Super Jump podcast from time to time, we'll take an article from Super Jump and we will look at it and see how it relates to our topic at hand. Uh, This week, we have two articles, both written by Mitchell Wyan. Mitchell is also named Mitchell, so I have a lot of respect for him. Just in in that, uh, one of them is entitled How to Re-Release Something Right. And the re, the first re in re-release, is fully capitalized because it's the Resident Evil remake that he's talking about. Now, James, you told me you're uh, familiar with the Resident Evil remake. I have not gotten into it. What's different uh, in the remake from the original Resident Evil? So I think that the development team here really, I feel as though they kind of set a gold standard for remakes. You'll often hear people talking about Resident Evil as a, as a fantastic example of a remake or a remaster. Um, and they, they did a couple of things. So a couple of big things. The first was a complete um, recreation of the graphics from the ground up. So, you know, Resident Evil was one of those games that had these kind of 2D pre-rendered backdrops with um, 3D model um, characters. And you had these kind of fixed camera positions 
as you were moving around this great big mansion. Um, what they did with the remake of Resident Evil was they completely redrew and reanimated those 2D backgrounds from scratch. And they, they look absolutely amazing. Like if you compare the original game to the remake, uh, not only is the remake kind of clearer and sharper, I think it actually looks so much better, even in terms of the actual art design. It's, it's actually a massive improvement, I would say. Um, so they, they upgraded the graphics completely. Um, but they also, I think, took the opportunity to refine and to update the gameplay in ways that were quite clever. And they were particularly clever from the point of view of someone who had played the original on the, on the PS1. You know, if you'd played the original game on the PS1, um, you knew the layout of that mansion, you know, you know the part where the dogs jump through the windows, um, you know, you know all of the kind of jump scares and um, you can you can pretty much, you know, run through the mansion from beginning to end and know everything that's going to happen. And that's not the case in Remake? Not the case at all, And but it's really clever because what Remake does is it, I think it makes the assumption that the player knows all of those things. So you're walking into this mansion and it's kind of, it's pretty much the same layout, but the jump scares are all completely different. Hmm. Um, there are moments where the developers know that you're expecting something and they deliberately, um, you know, they make that, that they have no jump scare in that moment. They make it quiet only to surprise you another 30 seconds later when you're not expecting it. Um, so they they really kind of use your knowledge and experience against you in a way that makes the remake feel really fresh and different, which I think is, is a really fantastic way to do a remake in general. Um, and the other big change they did was they added a new enemy called um, Crimson Head or Crimson Heads, which is just another type of zombie. Um, and it, it's kind of, I'd almost describe it as a way of adding a hard mode, uh, but that feels a little bit reductive to say, you know, that they added a hard mode. These enemies are fairly sparingly used. You don't see them everywhere. But what's interesting about them is, unlike normal zombies, you know, that you, uh, once you've killed a normal zombie, it's dead and it's pretty much dead forever. Um, with the Crimson Heads, when you kill them, um, I think unless you actually blow their head off, um, they will, they'll lie on the ground and they will eventually reanimate. They'll eventually come back to life. And I could be getting my facts wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that when they come back to life, they come back in a more aggressive form to the point where you, you have to be very, very careful about how you manage these enemies. And sometimes it's going to be smarter to just avoid them altogether rather than kill them and have them come back to life in a much more vicious form. I think to kill them completely, you either have to blow their heads off or um, I think you can light them on fire with a, um, with a cigarette lighter. Um, and even that is kind of a strategic thing because... As you, as you know, you know, Resident Evil games give you very limited inventory. So 
carrying this cigarette lighter takes up a slot in your inventory that's really, really precious. You might need it for health items. You might need it for ammunition. Um, so it, it's kind of um, forcing you to make these trade-offs all the way through in a way that feels really fresh and different compared to the first, you know, the original release. So gotcha. kind of at every level, I think they they really got it right. And, and I think that's what... Um, you know, Mitchell kind of goes through that in the article as to, you know, why is this considered kind of a gold standard in terms of remakes? It's cool. Uh, so most of what you, you were just saying about it kind of makes me think that the focus of Resident Evil Remake was to make a game that very much feels like the first time you played Resident Evil 1, but um, even more so because it you can't play it exactly the same way as you did the first time. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, not quite a remake, but recently I played through the master mode of The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which was kind of supposed to do the same thing. You know, it'll give you another chance to go through the world, but harder this time. And... Um, I think that it could have used maybe a little bit more of what you're talking about here with Resident Evil Remake, where it, maybe it switches up the locations of some things um, or adds new kinds of enemies, because although it was harder, um, harder at least in combat in, in Breath of the Wild, the main struggle in my original playthrough of Breath of the Wild wasn't exactly combat, it was more about exploring and yeah. all of that stuff is still in the same place, so I kind of just automatically knew where the things were. Um, so maybe that is... Well, that's not. That's also not exactly supposed to be a remake. You know, it's not supposed to be something you come back to. It could potentially have been the first version someone played of Breath of the Wild. I have no idea why they would do that, but, but uh, <laughs> they, they could. Theoretically could. Another article Mitchell wrote was Crash Bandicoot Nostalgia Strikes Back, which is about Crash Bandicoot, the Insane Trilogy for the PlayStation 4. Um, so, I love 3D platformers. I say it almost every episode in some way. Um, but 3D platformers are really rad, and they just don't make very many of them. So it seems like every 3D platformer we're getting nowadays, be it Crash Bandicoot, the Insane Trilogy or ukulele it seems like it's kind of based on if not a remake of it's based on a 3d platforming property that was around in the late 90s with the ps1 or nintendo 64 um and the crash bandicoot insane trilogy very much is that it's the first three games of the crash bandicoot series the uh three platforming Crash Bandicoot games that were done by the original developer, Naughty Dog, for the PlayStation 1. Uh, I don't remember the names of each of the three of them, but I think the first one's just called Crash Bandicoot. Um, yeah, sorry, can't pull that. Don't know the names. Uh, and this is an, a very interesting remake, because when a lot of people were, were uh, getting their hands on it for the first time, they were saying, wow, I didn't remember Crash Bandicoot being this hard. <laughs> and it turns out Crash Bandicoot wasn't that hard. Uh, they've made the mm. remake more difficult than it originally was. 
which is it, it it's strange because the original games were already very difficult and there's mm. been a bit of uh uh, uh there, there there's been a bit of debate about whether or not that was a good move what do you think about that james uh a remake purposefully being more difficult than the original game that's a really good question i um i i guess that for me that there has to be <laughs> excuse me there has to be a um i think a good reason to do that um so for example if the original game had been considered to be way too easy at the time you know if that was a deficiency in the original game then maybe you might want to correct for that when you have the chance to to remake it or to remaster it um but i feel as though in general kind of a, a remake of a game should be either in some fashion corrective or additive um just making it more difficult when it didn't necessarily need to be isn't something that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I haven't played Crash since the original PlayStation games, but I definitely remember it not being a terribly easy game. I mean, it wasn't sure. punishingly difficult, but it certainly wasn't terribly easy either. Um, and I was actually watching my siblings play this remake um, they they played it at my house briefly a couple of weeks ago and um they were all yelling at each other because they kept dying on the exact same spot <laughs> and it was it was actually making them all angry because they just kept going at this same spot again and again and i was kind of sitting there thinking you know this doesn't look fun to me <laughs> i'm not quite sure you know it's it's actually tearing apart family relationships <laughs> at this point so <laughs> Um, I, I kind of, but, but I wasn't sure if, you know, I was looking at it and thinking, oh, did I just forget how hard this game was? You know, am I just getting soft in my old age or is it actually, have they changed something? So it's interesting you mentioned that, that they've actually, um, changed the difficulty. Well, the way they've changed the difficulty is pretty interesting. Um, and this kind of comes from the fact that it is not really a remaster it's a full remake it's um however you want to define that but it, it, it was yeah. recreated from the ground up it's not like they took maps or anything like that from the old games uh in and in doing so they've changed one pretty important thing the hitbox of crash him uh crash himself in the ps1 games it was a rectangular prism about you know the, the dimensions of his body Yep. And in the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, his hitbox is pill-shaped. So it's it's a cylinder, but a rounded top and a rounded bottom. Mm. Uh, most of the time, this doesn't matter at all. If you're just walking across a flat surface, maybe the jungle ground, in, which is in some of those levels, you're not going to see the difference whatsoever. But in some of the more tricky platforming stages... A lot of people are specifically calling out the bridge stages, any stage with a bridge. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you're going to be jumping from tiny platform to tiny platform. And because the bottom of Crash's hitbox is rounded, if you don't hit the platform with exactly the center of Crash's hitbox, uh -huh. you'll slide off of it. Um, and 
fans have speculated that this was because the default uh, controlled character hitbox shape in Unity, which I'm not sure if the game is made in Unity, but this is something in Unity. Mm. Uh, it, it, that's pill-shaped. That's where it comes from. But Vicarious Visions has, in response to this, come out and say, no, it is harder than the original, but it's harder on purpose. So whether or not you want to, you know, whether or not you want to believe them, yeah, it kind of sounds maybe like they messed up a little bit and are just saying that, but they could be. I I have no idea. Um, they could be telling the truth. It, it, it's it's an interesting thing, but that's yeah. not the only thing to talk about when you're talking about Crash. And the rest of the game is pretty much great. It looks great. It really looks like the art direction that Crash would have had if it was naturally taken into 2017 without being, you know, jump-started after this long hiatus of no Crash games. Yeah. Uh, it looks beautiful. It's, in my opinion, one of the best-looking games on the PlayStation 4, which is, uh, you know, it's a... There's a lot of great-looking games on the PlayStation 4. Um, mo- except for that one bit about it being a lot harder and frustrating in those sections... I think it's what you should do with that kind of um, remake of a game from that era. Yeah. Um, Which is, it's got to be difficult because a lot of the characters in the original Crash had, like, faces that were stylized based on the (laughs) fact that they were extremely low polygon and couldn't do anything. You couldn't have, like, interesting faces at all. You had to just have a single polygon for the front of your face and maybe like your (laughs) face is painted on in a texture or something like that. And the new crash game actually uses that art style, but in a not crude way. So it it looks, it looks good. Um, yeah, I, I like it except for the whole difficulty thing. I think that was maybe not a great idea if it truly was supposed to be harder on purpose. Um, but some remakes don't do as well, James. Uh, I want to talk about some some bad remakes. We don't mm. have too many of them recently, so we can't pull an article about one. Um, but a bad remake I wanted to talk about that just I I was thinking of earlier today was Super Mario sixty four DS. Uh, we talked about Mario sixty four as being one of those very difficult games to uh, play in the modern age, and that is true. Um, but unfortunately, its remake is maybe worse. Uh, have you played this game? Yeah, I um, I played it way back when I got my first DS. And, right, it was um, a launch title in 2004. Yeah, and, and it was one of those games that um, it was, at first glance, it was an incredibly sort of impressive demonstration of the technology the hardware technology actually seeing this you know um this really iconic 3d platformer on this tiny little screen was kind of cool but as soon as you made mario walk in any direction it (laughs) fell apart (laughs) and that like so there was a whole d-pad thing which obviously the game was not designed for a d-pad and trying to shoehorn it into that context just really didn't work right you, um, ma- you took a game that was based specifically around yeah. <laughs> the new things that the n64 could do like the analog stick 
yeah. and the uh, camera control buttons. And those things did not exist on a DS, so it played expectedly wonky. Yeah, exactly. And um, then, so I tried that control scheme, and I found that frustrating. That lasted about five minutes, and I'd had enough of that. And then I tried that little, and I don't know what it's called, you know that weird accessory, the little nub that you put on your thumb? Oh, no. And do you remember that? I do. And <laughs> I've never used I have one. I've it was never so used it once. Awful. So awful. It was like Oh, I'm trying to think of an analogy. It was like Well, just, they, the, what they wanted to do was have you use your thumb on the touchscreen yes. like the iPhone would later do in 4 years after that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is cool. It it's forward thinking, but it just did not work in did context. It, work. it did not work. No, it was like just sticking your thumb in a tub of butter. Like, it was just <laughs> so awful. And, um, <laughs> you know, it made me wonder. I mean, I guess it was a, who knows, I guess it was a cost reason or something. But it made me, I remember thinking pretty much on day one with my with my DS, I thought, why couldn't they have, even if it was a, a fairly crappy little analog disc or something, like, they needed something to make that game workable because one of the pleasures i think of super mario 64 more than the actual level design and the enemies and everything one of the pleasures probably the biggest pleasure for me is just moving mario around sure yeah just just walking and running and exploring is just sublime um so when you really shoehorn and cobble that um it, the whole thing just sort of starts to unravel a little bit. Yeah, it, it didn't work. Uh, there were a lot of cool ideas in the game. The castle itself was expanded. There were more worlds, and um, I think that's great. I, I'm not yeah. such a stickler for the purity of the original game. If you want to add worlds that weren't there in the first time, uh, that's awesome. Do that. Mm. And there were more playable characters which was kind of cool. Uh, you had, in addition to Mario, you could play as Yoshi, Luigi, and Wario. And I think to this day, it's the first, it's the only time that Wario has had a starring role in a main series Mario game since his introduction back on the Game Boy in like 1991 or two or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that's all cool, playing as multiple characters, but what that meant was all of a sudden each of these characters needed to be able to do specific things. So some of the many things Mario could do in Super Mario 64 were split up among four people, so at any given time you could only do a certain number of things, making the game feel more limited, which uh, in turn just made everything feel more limited and the controls were not nearly as intuitive. Uh, it broke down mostly because they put it on a console that was not ready for it without changing the way that you interacted with the game. Uh, I, th- I think that's the sign of a bad remake. It was done to prove that the DS could do 3D gla- graphics, which I guess it succeeded in doing. Um but for the most part, it did not succeed in being a good version, let alone a better version, which a remake kind of should be, yeah. of Super Mario 64. Um, 
so that's the, that's an example of a bad remake i just thought of uh what's what's your favorite remake james what's your favorite uh, remake of all time my favorite remake um i'm well, just dropping um, this on james by the way we have a <laughs> we have a show plan and this is not on it i'm taking james by surprise what's your favorite remake go well okay i'm gonna give you a really weird one so Resident okay. Evil's probably my my ultimate favorite, but there is a game, um, and I don't think it's actually finished yet, uh, oh. called Black Mesa. Oh, okay. Um, it is on Steam, and it is a fan remake of the original Half Life, um, completely remade in the Source engine. And what's now? What's up- different about it? Oh, okay. So it's it's the ultimate remake. So this team of volunteers got together, this team of fans got together, and they decided to completely redesign and rebuild the original Half-Life using Source Engine. So everything about it is completely recreated from the ground up. So every... Um, every level, every environment, every texture is completely new. Um, it, it is amazing. Like if you think back to the original Half-Life when you're walking around the, the research facility, you know, mm-hmm. um, and of course in its day it was pretty impressive. I think it used the Quake engine. Um, when you play it in Black Mesa, it's just unreal. It's, uh, th- there are so many little details that they've added and changed. Um, so they have completely rebuilt all of the graphics. Um, they've, they have used, I think, some of the character models from Half-Life 2. I'm not sure if they've created new models. They may have done that as well. Um, but what's also really impressive is they completely re-recorded all of the dialogue. And it is amazing. They actually found people that sound like the original scientists and they've got a guy that sounds like Barney. Do you remember Barney from? Yeah. Yeah. They have this guy that sounds exactly like Barney who re-recorded all the dialogue. Sorry. Is is it, you're saying it's not the original guy that they found these like sound alikes. They found these sound alikes. That's really cool. It is amazing. And it was one of these projects that, uh, was this was years ago now they they put out the first screenshots of it and it looked so incredible and they they had little gameplay videos and it almost seemed too good to be true i remember thinking this is such a big project for just a fan team that's not making any money i it's going to take them so many years i just don't think it's going to happen but you can actually play through i think the first two thirds of the game on steam now and it is remarkably polished and just beautifully, beautifully made. Um, so the fact that it's a remake, but the fact that it's a fan remake, it's been endorsed by Valve. Um, they, they published it on Steam. Um, and just the quality of it is amazing. It's, it's, if you're a Half-Life fan and you haven't seen it, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. That's really cool. I didn't expect that answer. I didn't expect any answer, to be fair, because I surprised <laughs> you with your question. Um, I have two favorite remakes, uh, that one of which you kind of just remind me of. 
Mm. Um, so the first one is the Banjo Tooie Xbox Live Arcade version of Banjo Tooie. Uh, yeah. So it's it's one of my top five games, Banjo Tooie. I've talked about it on the podcast before, actually almost every time so far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I just can't, in good conscience, recommend someone go play the the original version of Banjo Tooie because mm. um well there's a number of reasons the original game even when played on an, an original N64 with the correct TV and all, everything like that has an awful frame rate uh, yeah. it dips down to like 10 sometimes as some Nintendo 64 games are known to do they were doing some interesting things that were way ahead of their time in terms of dynamic lighting. So yeah. there would be lanterns on the wall that would actually cast real shadows off of your very low poly character onto the ground, which is cool. But it makes it so if you're playing the game on uh, like an HD TV that you've connected to an N64 to, it's just ugly as sin because yeah. the shadows don't make any sense anymore and, and like yeah. it's all stretched out and it looks awful. Uh, and I can't really say that you should emulate it either. One, because I would never recommend you emulate a game, you you criminal. Um, <laughs> but also just because the N64 is very difficult to emulate for. So er, most of the problems you would you would see when playing it on an HDTV would probably still be there on yeah. an HD on a uh, uh, emulated Nintendo 64. However, they did remake the game for the Xbox 360 and Xbox One. Mm. And the game looks way better than even my memory of it. it although I will say that this remake is now almost 10 years old itself, but um, it, it's just great. They've put it in HD without actually changing any of the models. Like, they, they've sharpened the textures without changing them. It's definitely a remaster, but there is one one bit of the game that is, uh, like the gameplay is different. It's called Stop and Swap. Have you heard about this? Stop and Swap? No. Stop and Swap was this 1990s video game Nintendo conspiracy that turned out being true. Um, when they were developing Banjo-Kazooie, they developed it with the uh, hopes of this weird thing called stop and swap being able to be performed between Banjo-Kazooie and the sequel to the game Banjo-Tooie. What you would do is you would play Banjo-Kazooie, find these ultra-rare hidden items that, like, it took hackers online three to four years after the game even came out to figure out how to get these items. Mm. Um, have that on the screen, switch off the Nintendo 64 really fast, pull out the cartridge, Put in the Banjo-Tooie cartridge and turn it on, and you'll have unlocked certain things in your Banjo-Tooie version of the game. Mm. Um, and this didn't work. It, it just didn't work. Uh, Nintendo told Rare, hey, don't do that, because uh, for one thing, there's different versions of N64s uh, out there now. The original launch version of the game held its memory for a full minute after you turned it off, so this was very possible with that version of the of the hardware. Um, but the newer versions of the hardware held their memory for only a fraction of a second after turning them off. Mm. Um, so all of a sudden, trying this could corrupt your games. Yeah. Uh, 
so they they ended up just not doing it so there's all these secret hidden items hidden in banjo kazooie that if you 100 percent the game you can see like a little hint of in the post-credit sequence um hey did you find this egg no i didn't find that egg what are you talking about well it's, it's there um and there, there's six eggs and a key to find a banjo kazooie and what they've done in the uh, xbox versions of the game is they've implemented that so you can actually um go and collect those eggs and put them in the next version of the game if they're on just the same if they're saved onto the same hard drive um and what it is cool Mm. i i will say it's a little the magic of it is a little taken away by the fact that what the eggs now unlock are like xbox live icons (laughs) and, and wallpapers yeah. Which doesn't exactly make sense considering that, um, you know, that probably wouldn't have been the original intention back during the N64 era. Yeah. Um, but it's still pretty cool. And that's, you know, that's additive. Like you were saying earlier, a remake needs to either be constructive or additive. That's absolutely my favorite version of additive. There's another remake that is fan made, though, which you reminded me of with Black Mesa. Have you ever played Project M? Um, I don't think so. So Project M is a ROM hack for Super right. Smash Brothers Brawl. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the of the game was to make it more like Super Smash Brothers Melee in some areas. Um mainly those areas had to do with the physics of the game. Brawl was criticized by a lot of people for being uh pretty floaty. Um, there was a tripping mechanic that people didn't like because it added a lot of randomness to a, an ostensibly like very competitive game, uh, and, and just generally it, it was a lot slower than melee. So what they did did was they sped everyone up, they tweaked certain characters' move sets so that the balance was back. Um, it was really cool, and they even added Mewtwo and Roy who were in Super Smash Bros. Melee, but were not in Brawl. So they were actually adding new characters. And they eventually uh, were shut down in what today has still not been fully explained why they've been shut down. But they they had a plan to release the, the 4.0 version of Project M. Didn't happen. So now Project M... 3.6 I believe is the current version pretty cool game I, I think it's uh, maybe my favorite Smash Brothers now um, wow yeah if, if you can if you find a tournament where it's being played which doesn't really exist anymore it kind of faded out mm. of popularity yeah. uh, when Smash 4 came out because of some things having to do with Nintendo was sponsoring tournaments for Smash 4 and Melee um, and they would only sponsor those tournaments in the event that Project M was not being played at those tournaments. Right, yeah. Uh, so it kind of faded into unpopularity, which is uh, unfortunate. But even as far as they did get uh, version 3.6, I think it's a fantastic game. Uh, if you could consider that a remake of Brawl, that's mm. that's more of getting away from remake. But remake's a broad term, as yeah. we've decided. Um, I just had, I had one more question before we close the show. What is the goal of a remake? Um, what do you think, what do you think a remake should be aiming to do? 
Well, I think there's definitely, you know, as I said before, I think there's definitely one component of it is is just the fact of, you know, taking a game maybe from an older platform, um, bringing it up to a newer platform, and therefore um, making it um, making it work well with modern HD screens, for example, because that is probably the most obvious issue that has to be corrected with, um, you know, with games of a certain era anyway. Um, but I think beyond that, you know, for me, I definitely think that if you're going to do a remake, um, especially if you're going to really reconstruct a game from its foundations. Sure. Um, for me, and this is not a view that everybody shares, um, because there are a lot of people who would say, you know, you should be very purist about these things. But for me, I think there's really an opportunity to look at look at that original game and say, were there any kind of glaring things that really didn't work well that we can now fix? Um, were there things that the developers wanted to add and maybe they ran out of time to add them? And we hear that all the time. You know, there are, there are always a surplus of ideas, concepts, Sometimes there are whole levels and mechanics that have actually been built, but they just run out of time to actually implement it in the game. So I really like remakes that try to do those things, that try to say, okay, we've got the chance to revisit this again. What are the things we can improve? Can we take away things that were badly designed, that weren't received well? You know, are there yeah. ideas sitting on the shelf that never saw the light of day that we'd really love to implement? For me, that's kind of the golden opportunity for a remake, um, and that's what I um, that's what I really look for in terms of thinking about a, a great remake. Um, what about you? Are there any particular things that you think sort of need to be there or should be there? Um, yeah, I if I was to make a remake, and I'm not saying that this is this should be the goal of every remake necessarily. One of the things I would be thinking about the most is that I, I'd want to make sure I can capture what it actually felt like to play a game the first time, however many years ago that actually happened. Yeah. Um, this is not a remake, this is a sequel. But the uh, the Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds kind of illustrates what I mean by this, I think. Yeah. Because you can go back to A Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past and it will not actually feel the way even if you're playing the original version on all the same hardware you originally did it won't feel the way you felt the first time yeah because the first time it was a big world in the context of what was released in that era it was one of the biggest exploratory world uh video games that you could play and Mm -hmm. in order for it to feel like that again today it would also have to have that feeling. And something that is exactly that size doesn't have that feeling. So in, in situations like that, you can actually make it more like the original by making it further away from the original, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a really good analogy. Um, yeah. and, and then I think, I think there are games like um, uh, The Wind Waker HD. Mm-hmm which are just a straight-out case where I look at that and I think I would happily just outright replace the original with Wind Waker HD. 
Oh yeah. Um, you know, just because it's obviously it looks absolutely incredible in HD. Um, but the things that they fixed were these kind of, um, I don't know if I'd say loose ends, but they, they kind of felt like missed opportunities in the original release. So they just did this little bit of tidying up in a couple of key areas. And I think what they came out with at the end is actually overall a much better experience. Um, and it probably helps that, you know, they weren't remaking a game in that case that was, you know, a Super Nintendo era game that was much, much older. Um, it was something that was a lot more modern. Um, but I think that was, that's sort of a great example of where you can just refine things a little bit and the overall package is much better than the original. Yeah, it's it's very much like that. In fact, it doesn't even need to be a strict remake, in my opinion, in order to remake a game. That didn't come out right. Hang on, let me try that again. <laughs> um, I guess another another Zelda analogy is that in a lot of ways you can view Breath of the Wild as something of a remake of the feeling that you had when you originally played a Legend of Zelda NES, provided you were a child around the NES era, which I was not, um, but some were. And yeah. when they originally played Zelda, I, I have to imagine that it felt like this enormous world where you could just go anywhere, do anything, get lost immediately. Yeah. Uh, and that comes back in Breath of the Wild in a way that it would never have actually been there if you um, if you just actually remade Zelda NES. So sometimes yeah. the best way to remake a game is just to not <laughs> not not yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, or or just make a game exactly how it was but better like Wind Waker HD. Um mm. that is that is also an appropriate goal for a remake. Much like mm. any other kind of game, I don't think we should be saddling remakes with a specific goal. It's taken yeah. me through the conversation to realize that that's what I'm coming out with. <sighs> Well, it's been a good talk. Um, I'm always happy to do with a podcast with you, James. Yeah, me too. This was a great topic. So listeners out there, if you want to write in, maybe suggest a topic for next time or uh, have a question for us to answer next time, you can reach me at my Twitter at TheWolfFM. Soon we will have like a proper Super Jump podcast thing set up. Just for now, you can reach me at the wolf fm wolf has an e at the end so t-h-e-w-o-l-f-e-f-m at the end of every show we like to share our after school activities these are things that we think you should check out outside of the super jump experience um i'll go first this time i would like to suggest the adventure zone it is a dungeons and dragons podcast led by three brothers and their dad as they journey across a fantastic fantasy land, it's it's great, uh, it's really touching, and they're wrapping up their campaign soon. So if you just wanted to binge a podcast, like, beginning to end, um, this is absolutely the time to get into the Adventure Zone. If you don't think a Dungeons & Dragons podcast is for you, I didn't either. Um, it just kind of happens to be one of my new favorite stories of all time 
uh, in podcast form and in Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons form, I would recommend it to just about anybody. So check out The Adventure Zone on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. That is an awesome recommendation. I need to check that out. You've sold that very well. It's it's a good one. I, I really yeah. like it. Um, well, my recommendation is, and in a similar way, mine is one that's kind of coming to an end now. So if you're, if you're in the mood to binge a podcast, um, I recommend checking this one out. It's called Bonfire Side Chat, and it's basically a Dark Souls book club. Um, it's hosted by um, Gary Butterfield and Cole Ross who also host Watch Out for Fireballs, which is kind of a, a retro games book club podcast. Um, and in Bonfire Side Chat, they basically walk through all of the Souls games from the original Demon Souls through to games like uh, Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne. It's really, really fascinating. They kind of do a, a deep dive on each game. Each episode is for a particular area in each game. They've got a lot of really great guests um, from the community. Um, it's it's really good fun. It's really funny as well. Um, and they are now coming up to their. Um, I think they've got to be, you know, maybe two or three episodes away from finishing that podcast completely. Um, so it's a good time to kind of go back and and binge your way through all of those episodes um, if you're into the Soul series. That sounds great. Um, with the future of the Souls series not looking like there's going to be a new Souls game soon, I think that's great to check out. Maybe satiate yourself in the meantime while waiting to see what From Software does next. Um, on social media, you can find us at Facebook um, at facebook.com slash superjumponline. That's all one word because it's a URL. Um, you can also find just Superjump, the Superjump uh, magazine, the publication that we are at superjump.online or by searching medium.com for superjump. That's two words when you search it, one word when you do superjump.online. Uh, I've been Mitchell Wolf and I've been here with James Burns. We'll jump at you next time. Stay super. Okay.